Karen, are you still over on the Oregon? I called Karen or texted her last night. I said, I want you to stay for just a minute. I'm gonna try to trick Karen, okay? Karen has been the organist here for how many years? 95 years, she said, yeah. She was very young when she started. She was here playing the organ and had been playing a while when I got here. So let me just tell you. There's a song we sang back in the 80s. Put me, we used to sing it in A flat, so you're gonna think A flat, but I'm a little older now. Put it down in G, put me in G. Yeah. She doesn't know what this is, but this song I'm gonna sing comes from scripture, and some of you might remember it. And um, it's the last point that I'm going to make today, and it ties into the, the message. Let me see if she can if she can find it and follow it. Ah, Lord God. Ah, Lord God. You got it? Of course she got it. Give her a hand. Come on. Behold, thou hast made heaven and earth. I knew I couldn't trick her. By thy great power and outstretched arms. There is nothing too hard for thee. There is nothing too hard. Jeremiah said, Ah, Lord God. Ah, Lord God. Behold, thou hast made heaven and earth by thy great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for thee. How many of you believe it today? There is nothing too hard for Can you say amen to that? Come on, give Karen another good hand. Thought I'd trick her, but of course I should have known better. Was that too easy? <laughs> that was easy. She's fantastic, and what a blessing she is to us. Aren't you glad we can say our God is the God of the impossible? There's nothing too hard for him. I have one sibling. It is my much, much, much older sister, much older than I am. Sis, I hope you're watching today. Her name is Linda. She and her husband of, I think it's 54 years, Dennis, they have owned a very substantial real estate business in the St. Louis area for decades. It's on the Illinois side, the other side of the river. Had that for a long, long time. What little I know about real estate or building, I've learned from listening to them over the years. <clears throat> and I've heard them talk about the three S's, uh, when you, which you have to have, uh, particularly when you're building. The three S's are this. You got them? Schools, shopping, and safety. Those are the things that if you're dealing with real estate, it's very important to a buyer. Right, what are the schools like? Uh, and the ladies want to know what the shopping's like. Okay. And of course, all parents want to know what's the safety factor. Those are the three S's you have to have. But when you think of these three S's, I got to tell you, Jeremiah the prophet 
in his situation, he had none of them, not one of them. And yet, he was told to make a real estate deal, and we read it in Jeremiah chapter 32. So if you've got your Bibles, how many still bring an actual uh, brick-and-mortar Bible to you? Let me hold it up. Let me see it. Oh, there's, there's, there's a handful of them. The rest of you lazy ones just expect us to put it on a screen for you. <clears throat> Well, I'm glad we're able to do that. It's a wonderful day. But folks, don't forget that Bible. and Bring it to church with you. Maybe you might make notes in it, but uh, it's, it's, a, it's a good thing to do. I know we've got all the tools that are available, and that's great. But, but uh, I, I guess that's, I heard somebody call it a brick-and-mortar Bible the other day, and I, I understand what that means. Jeremiah chapter two, 32. 32 is where we're going to go. That's where we learned that there were no S's in Jerusalem at that time. Now, give me just one second to lay a little of the background here. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. Prophets to the people of Israel, had been, they had been prophesying to the Israelites that an enemy is coming. Assyria was going to come from the south. Babylon was coming from the north, and they were going to ravage the city of Jerusalem. And then when Nebuchadnezzar finishes his third and final raid on Jerusalem, he literally left what was a prosperous city, a thriving city, he left it in ruins, ruins and rubble. And they've taken tens of thousands of young people as prisoners of war, and all that's left is rubbish, a temple, and a wall that has been destroyed. And in the midst of that, God begins to speak to Jeremiah who, by the way, he himself, he's in jail um, at this particular time because of what he had been prophesying, which was deemed to be treasonous. Nebuchadnezzar has come in and stolen all of the S's. He's taken all of the young people, and there are no more schools because they'd planned to educate them in Babylon is where they'd haul them all off to. There is no more shopping. Everything is, in, is rubbish, and there is no more safety. And yet, in the midst of that situation and that environment, God tells Jeremiah, go buy some real estate. Go buy some real estate. Let's read it. Chapter 32 of Jeremiah, starting verse 6. At that time, the Lord sent me a message. He said, your cousin Hanamel, son of Shalom, will come and say to you, buy my field at Anathoth. By law, you, Jeremiah, you have the right to buy, his cousin's telling him, you have the right to, uh, to buy it before it is offered to anyone else. Now, this is the Lord sending Jeremiah a message that that's what's going to happen. And, and just to keep it all in perspective, by this time Anathoth was under Babylonian control, and so this purchase of property there would appear to be absolutely and utterly foolish. Who would buy a parcel of land that had already fallen into enemy hands? Verse 8, then just as the Lord had said he would, just like it was told him, my cousin Hanamel showed up. He came and he visited me in the prison. And he said, uh, please buy my field at Anathoth in the land of Benjamin. Because by law, Jeremiah, you have the right to buy it before it is offered to anyone else. So buy it for yourself. Now, come on, folks. If you had been Jeremiah, wouldn't you have said, you know, thanks, but no, th I'm good, I'm good. 
I don't need a piece of property that looks like that or that is in, is in heaps. I, I, I'm going to gladly, I may have the right to it through the family line, but I'm going to gladly uh, give up this property. The, this town is completely in ruins, and this would not be a good investment. That's what I would have said. Might have been what you would have said if you had been Jeremiah. But the rest of verse 8 says that Jeremiah says, Then I knew that the message I had heard, that he'd heard previously, was from the Lord. Because what the Lord had told him was going to happen is what happened. Verse 9, so I bought the field at Anathoth in the rubbles and the heaps and the ash and all of that, paying Hanimal 17 pieces of silver for it. I signed and sealed the deed of purchase before witnesses. I weighed out the silver and paid him. Jump into verse 14. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Take both this sealed deed and the unsealed copy and put them into a pottery jar to preserve them for a long time. Now, many of you will know it was customary at that time that if you wanted to preserve something, uh, you know, either some sort of coins or even jewelry, certainly a document like this. It would be like our safety deposit box that some of us have at the bank today where you want to keep something very safe. You bought a pottery jar and you put your stuff in there, you put a lid on it and you buried it. That's how you kept things safe. But if I'm Jeremiah, I'm going, are you kidding me? Jerusalem is at its worst point and you want me to invest in this city. The S's are all gone. All of our up-and-coming young people have all been hauled off to Babylon as POWs, and you think I'm going to invest in this. Verse 15, for this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says, because someday people will again own property here in this land and will buy and sell houses and vineyards and fields. Doesn't look like it. But that's what's going to happen. So Jeremiah buries this deed. He's bought the property. He's got the deed and the, and the copy of it. And he, like a seed, he buries it like a seed waiting for harvest. Puts it in the jar, puts on the lid, buries it like a seed waiting for harvest. Now, some of you know the person looking for quick results when you bury something if you think it's going to come quickly, you're going to be disappointed. When you bury a seed of any kind, there will be long stretches of darkness, long periods of time of invisibility, and there will be long periods of time of silence that separates the planting of that seed from the harvesting of that seed. That's what happens in the planting process. And yet God was saying, buy something that is in seed form, bury the deed, your document, in the ground, and then watch what I'm going to do. God was saying, you see rubbish, I see buildings. You see rubbish, but God sees houses and vineyards that are coming back to this land. It may be invisible right now. It may be silent right now. But God says, this is a promise. This is a seed. And so you stand back and watch what I can do. It certainly looks impossible, just like the condition of our own country today. Am I telling the truth, church? When you look at many of the major cities in our country, 
today and where we are, you have to ask, God, what on earth can you do about this? My goodness, this is starting to look hopeless. What can you do to bring order back out of this chaos? So what, what can Jeremiah say to us today since he knew what it was to be in a city that is in complete disarray? Well, here's what I think he might say to us. Hold on to your seat. First thing, I'm gonna give you three. First thing, God may ask you to do the ridiculous in order for you to see the fantastic. You're quiet, nine o'clock. God may ask you to do the ridiculous in order for you to see the fantastic. Somebody say amen. amen. Why? Because you and I have no idea what God is doing behind the scenes. You and I have no idea because his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. And what may seem ridiculous to you and me is the setup for God to do the fantastic in your life. Now, I know that all of us here know folks, it's nobody in the room, but we all know folks who seem to specialize in doing the ridiculous. How many of you know some folks who do a great job with the ridiculous. Okay, I see those hands, yes. And we could probably all name a few here this morning. I wanna say, I will always strongly encourage you to get wise counsel. I will always strongly encourage you to seek wisdom. But above all of it, I strongly encourage you to be sure you are listening to the voice of the Lord, even if it seems out of character for you. And when you do seek the voice of the Lord, don't be surprised if he asks some of us, particularly who are, tend to be on the cautious and the conservative and the no-risk side of life, those people, what if God asks you to step out of your comfort zone and do something that to you seems ridiculous as we see what he did to Jeremiah? It's the word of the Lord to us today. I read this statement somewhere. Don't be afraid to try new things. Please remember, the ark was built by amateurs and the Titanic was built by experts. Let me just tell you something. If the amateur has God on his side, if the amateur has heard from the Lord, and if the amateur is even doing what is ridiculous, but they've got God on their side, then trust the amateur. Trust the person who's trusting God. And here's why. Faith is accepting that you don't know, but it is trusting that God does know. That's what faith is. It is accepting the fact, I don't know, I don't have a clue, but I know that God does. That's what faith is. Faith is accepting that you don't know what's on the other side of burying that document. You don't know what's on the other side of what God has asked you to do. It's accepting that you don't know. Or why would you want me to invest in Jerusalem when it's in rubbles? But trusting that God does know. Let me take it a step further. Based upon my experience and what I have seen in the lives of strongly believing Christians, sometimes there is no miracle without first there being some degree of embarrassment. Hmm. Did I hear a groan in the room? Sometimes there is no miracle without first there being embarrassment. What do you mean, Pastor Dan? Let me just tell you, be happy to give you an example. We wouldn't even be in this building 
we wouldn't even be up on this hill had it not been for a man who was willing to do something that seemed ridiculous at the time. His name is M.F. Martin. He's gone to be with the Lord. He was willing to dream and do what everybody else around him thought was ridiculous. He came and stood on this hill where I'm standing right now when there was nothing in sight. There wasn't a building in sight. There was nothing but a few cows mewing in his, mooing in his face. Mooing? Is that a word? You know what cows do. They go moo. In his face. And it made no sense to have the dream of building a church out here in the middle of the field when there was nothing in sight anywhere around it. In fact, you could, I suppose, call it ridiculous, but let me say this. Out of the ridiculous, I would have to tell you today, God has brought about the fantastic Fantastic what? A thriving church with over 60 ministries based out of it. An educational system of excellence for children from birth through high school. A place of ministry training for all those who feel the call of God on their life to do something for the kingdom of God. Was it ridiculous or is it fantastic? A campus where Christ is exalted in English, Spanish, Swahili, French, Kenyan, and Burmese. A music ministry that has touched this city and many nations of the earth a place where an incredible legacy was formed by a world-class theologian and expositor, a home church for hundreds of young ladies whose lives were ravaged by sin and drugs and alcohol and addictions of every kind, a safe place where young women can find help and strength and support for not aborting their baby but giving it life. I don't know about you, I call that fantastic. I don't know about you, but if that kind of fantastic comes out of the ridiculous, I'll take ridiculous any day of the week. Can you say amen to that? And it all started with a man whose feet were on the ground, but whose heart was inclined toward the Lord, and he was willing to drive what was then, believe it or not, way far north. This was way far north of Fort Worth and stand on an empty field with nothing else in sight and dream a dream for the work of God. Some may have called it ridiculous, but God has done the fantastic. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Jeremiah looked like a fool to buy real estate. And he's still in prison, by the way. But he was willing to say, let's make a deal. Jeremiah couldn't fix Jerusalem any more than you and I can fix Fort Worth or fix Texas or fix this nation, but God can. God may ask you to do the ridiculous so that he can demonstrate and show the fantastic. That's number one. Here's the second thing I think Jeremiah is saying to us today. Just because something has been forgotten by man does not mean that it has been forgotten by man. God. It may have even been, been forgotten by you, but it hasn't been forgotten by God. It may be buried in the ground, and no one remembers anything about it, but that does not mean that God has forgotten about it. Every buried promise is never forgotten by God. Every act of obedience by his children is never forgotten by God. And that is why David Wilkerson, most of you know who he is, could say this. You know what the true evidence of faith is? The true evidence of faith is rest. The true evidence of faith is rest. God, I trust you. I am resting in you. 
I am leaning back in you on this. I prayed that prayer with a dear, precious saint of God this week. Literally had devastating news. But I said, you know what you're going to do? You're going to lean back and trust the Lord. You're going to lean back and you're going to discover that underneath are the everlasting arms. He's got you. He's holding you. I remember as a kid going up riding my bicycle, going up to the, st- to the store on the town square. How many of you grew up in a town that had a town square? Anybody? I'm the only one. Okay. Oh, wonderful. Had a town square. And I would buy at the certain time of year, usually the spring, I would buy a packet of seeds. I was just fascinated by the fact that there's these little packets and you, know, you could shake them, you could hear them jiggling. There's, there's seeds in there. And I would look at the packet and probably um, whatever grabbed my eye by the picture on the front. I, I doubt now if I knew the difference between a vegetable and a flower. If the colors were nice, I got it, okay? So I would buy a packet or two or three or whatever, take it home, and bury those seeds in the backyard. Now, am I the only one who ever did that? Raise your hand if you did that. Okay, okay, two, wonderful. Great, doing great. Dan, you're two for two here. Day after day, I would go check on them. I'd walk out there. I'd plant them deep in the ground, and every day I'd go out there. But guess what? It was a period of invisible, a period of silence a period where there was no sign of everything. And day after day, I would see no sign of life, no sign that anything had been buried there. Uh, Oftentimes, I would just say, well, I wasted my money on that. That was a hoax of some kind. And then the day finally came when I saw a tiny little bud or a tiny little leaf coming up out of the ground, tiny little thing. And I would look at that and I'd be so excited, I would in my mind say, oh good, it's all done, it happened. And then here's the result of my planting. And then stupidly, I would start pulling things out of the ground prematurely and not trusting the process because I didn't know anything about the process. And I just didn't know how to trust that which happens in silence and darkness and in a time of invisible. God is the one who brings forth the life and causes the process to be full and complete. And so there I stood with my little bud or my little leaf that I yanked out way early, as soon as it sprouted up out of the ground. I've got that in my hand, and then I would hold up the packet of the, that the seeds were in that showed me what it's supposed to look like. And I'd look at this, and I'd look at that, and I would think, Something's not right. Guess what? They didn't match. Not at all. And that's exactly where Jeremiah was. His packet of seeds indicated that there were supposed to be vineyards and houses and fields. And yet the reality of what he saw with his eyes did not match the image, if you will, on his packet of seeds. But church, I want to remind you again, God never forgets a promise. I said God never forgets a promise. For Jeremiah, the city looked grim and bleak and in disarray, but God had told him to buy and bury, buy and bury. And the strong implication to Jeremiah when God told him to buy and bury was this, and I want you to stay here. Because when you buy and bury, there's typically a long-term commitment to it of some kind. 
God's promise was that something miraculous was going to happen. And even though the picture on the seed packet didn't match what he was seeing with his eyes, isn't that the condition we're in today? God's promise to us as a people, as a nation, and yet the picture on our packet of seeds looks completely different. Isn't that possibly what's happening in your life today? God's promise to you about your children coming back to God. God's promise to you about what would happen with your finances or with a job or relationship. And, 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 and you bought the packet of seeds and you've buried them. And, but then you look at what you have and it looks completely different than the packet of, of seeds. That's the condition we find ourselves in today in the nation. It's almost as if Babylon has come and ravaged our nation, such as happened to Jerusalem. Many of our major cities in ruins, families are divided politically. The racial divide brings an ever-present sensitivity. The church hasn't been allowed to really truly meet what we say en masse or in mass since the first of March. But God's prompting to the heart of the leadership of this fellowship known as Bethesda has been this. We are to dig in and not give up. Dig in and not give up. His word to us, he has more and more in store for us. His plan is not yet completely fulfilled. So our, we've sought the Lord about this. We've sought the Lord diligently in these very treacherous times, a time that in my lifetime we've never seen a day like this in the church. We've been more earnest, we've been more diligent in going before God, and God has come back with a resounding assurance of what we are to do. Dig in with the Child Development Center and don't give up. Dig in with Bethesda Christian School and don't give up. Dig in with the various ministries which, which he has cultivated in this place and don't give up. Dig in with the, with the Fellowship of Bethesda and don't give up because his promises that the glory of the latter house will be greater than that of the former from the prophet Haggai. And Bethesda, I believe it. I don't know about you. You may have your days of doubt, but this guy believes it with all of my heart. God put a promise in the hearts of the former leaders of this fellowship. God put promises in the heart of Pastor Des, and you and I are living in the full expression of those promises today. When God places a promise in your heart, he never forgets it, even if others forget it, even if you forget it. It may be buried now, it may look like rubbish, it may be all in heaps and in ruins, but we still serve a God who is able to do the fantastic, and we serve a God who never forgets his promises. Somebody say hallelujah. So let me take you to the best buried promise story. The seeds that are buried in this promise I'm gonna bring up are all over the world. There are literally billions of buried seeds around the planet waiting for the fulfillment of this promise to take place. And I find it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. It's a verse I visit almost every week, and it goes like this. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ, those who are buried, will rise first. 
all over this planet. Believers are buried in cemeteries and graves. Billions of dead people who are in Christ are not just buried, they are buried promises waiting for God to keep his word. And we can rest assured that God will keep his promise of 1 Thessalonians 4.16 with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. God never forgets a buried promise. Somebody give a hallelujah shout today. So here's where I come to my last point, and I bring in the song that I had Karen play at the beginning. And you're going to think this is so random and so whiplash when I say it to you. Number three, what I think Jeremiah is saying to us today through our text. The creation-evolution debate matters. It matters. I know that seems random, and where did I get that? Can, I, can we just agree this morning that God is who he says he is? Can we agree this morning that God is the God of Genesis? Well, it mattered to Jeremiah that God is the God of creation because he staked his money and his future upon it. Now, to set this up, let me give you four false facts. Number one, books write themselves without the need of an author. True or not true? False. Number two, cars build themselves without the need of a manufacturer. True or false? Number three, music composes itself into beautiful harmonies without the need of a composer. Is that true or false? Number four, the whole universe came into being through a process of random chance and beneficial mutations without the need of a designer. True or false? So what we have is the most learned people on the planet who say, You need a composer to have music. You need a manufacturer to have cars. You need an author to have a book. But somehow the universe just happened? Let me just say it out loud this way. My God created the heavens and the earth. Who agrees with me today? God created the heavens and the earth. And here's what I would tell you. You lose faith for the impossible when you don't believe that God created the heavens and the earth. You lose faith to believe for the impossible when you don't believe that God created the heavens and the earth. Jeremiah is obviously a creationist, and he prays the song. He did it in the form of a prayer. We sang it. We knew it as a song that we sang at the beginning of this message. As the real estate deed for Jerusalem is in the ground, as Jeremiah is in jail, as God's people and everyone that he knew and cared for is in Babylon, hauled away, here's what Jeremiah still knew for sure and stood on. It's this, God is still on the throne. And that's why Jeremiah did the only thing he knew to do. He didn't sing it, but he prayed it. And church, with what we are facing in this country today, the pandemic, Racial divide, political unrest, you have got to be a creationist to have hope. And what Jeremiah is about to tell us is this, God, if you can create from nothing, if you can rebuild from ruins and rubble, well, here's what Jeremiah said. 
in chapter 32, verse 16. Now when I had delivered the purchase deed to Barak, the son of Neriah, I prayed to the Lord God saying this, ah, Lord God, right after he delivered that deed, he said, ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made heaven and earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. I stand today to say that I believe with every fiber of my being there is nothing too hard for you. So what's he saying? He's saying, God, if you can create from nothing, then you can rebuild from ruins and rubble. I don't know about you, church. I don't believe in a big bang theory. I believe in a big God theory. That's the theory I believe in. So for you today, the promise of God to you that you're carrying, the picture on your packet of seeds that may not match the reality of what you see, you may very well still be in that long stretch of darkness, long stretch of invisibility and silence. Yeah, it's long, it's treacherous, it's exhausting. It can wear you slap out, as we say in the South. God may well ask you to do the ridiculous in order for you to see the fantastic. I'm just asking you to consider that. What if God is asking that of you? What if God is asking you to step out of your comfort zone? To think about this in a completely different way, to prove that he's God and God alone. And that promise that you hold, that promise that you buried and protected, I have come today to speak to somebody I don't know who it is, it doesn't matter. That promise that you're holding on to, that you put into your uh, figurative pottery jar, and you put the lid on it, and you buried it as a seed, I've come today to remind you that God has not forgotten it, even if everybody else has. Therefore, church, whether that's where you are or where you are in faith, I want you to stand with me and I want us to pray Jeremiah's prayer today. Can you project it for us? There it is right there. Lift your hands with me today. And I want you to say it. There's, there's just a few of us here today, but that's fine. I want you to say it with all of your heart. Let's say it together. Ah, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing. Say that last line again. One more time with all the fire within you. There. Now put your hands together and bless God for his faithfulness to us.